0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome back to the Forever Mighty podcast. We've got a special guest on the show today, NHL draft writer and Leafs and Marlies reporter for the Athletics, Scott Wheeler. How's it going, Scott? It's going well. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, I mean, with the draft just ending... You think you've escaped writing about the NHL entry draft, and then all of a sudden it surfaces again with your latest Top Prospects article. Couldn't quite escape it yet.
0: Yeah, no, not really. I kind of took a, a week off after the draft there, went on my honeymoon with my wife, and then as soon as I got back, it was kind of a okay moment. Here's Here's time to... To dial it in and and get back to work and and ultimately that resulted in one of my biggest annual projects every year which is this top 50 drafted prospects ranking and I only do it once a year but putting it all together is is a big task for me and, and something I'm really excited about every summer so it's nice to finally have it out there.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely one that everybody looks forward to. Definitely it's one that I look forward to, but it has to be an article where you can never make anyone happy. Like everyone always seems (laughs) to be upset that you left their guy off or this guy should have gone higher than that guy. Is that something you expect when you're going to put this out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's every year, even more so than my NHL draft rankings, particularly because my NHL draft rankings happen before the draft happens, which means – fan bases don't have particular ties to player one or player two or player A or player B Um, this is kind of the article where because fans are so attached to these top kids and and often cases think that these top kids are kind of the God's gift to mankind sort of thing (laughs) um, it's a tough one because uh, you're pleasing the people certainly at the top, the top ten fan bases tend to be extremely happy with you and and everyone else below that thinks that their guy deserves a crack in the top 10. So, uh it, it's it's a challenging few days after I publish it, you get a, a lot of positive feedback, a lot of people who are really proud of the work that you've done and really supportive of the work that you've done and want you to continue to do it and then you get a lot of people that are sort of who do you think you are? You're garbage. So, it's it's a mixed bag. It's it's quite a it's been quite a week this week in particular.
1: Yeah, I feel like you're always gonna get that when especially prospects. Everybody kinda overhypes their team's prospects. And and I think, you know, before we get to the Ducks players you put on your list I think the most hate I saw from Ducks fans directed towards you was the guy you left off the list, or had mm-hmm. number just off the list was Maxim Comtois. I think every comment I saw from Ducks fans, even we we quoted your tweet, and all the comments on our, t- our quote tweet was about why is Maxim Comtois not on the list. I don't know if people got to the bottom of the article to see that he what you did put him in there as number fifty one, but that had to be the guy. I mean, Ducks fans are are I think they're really sensitive on Maxim Comtois because of how well he did in his his ten game stint with the Ducks yeah uh, he had to be the guy I think that gave the Ducks fans gave you the most grief over
0: yeah definitely there were really two players that I was I, I sort of balanced all all month long as I prepared this list that I really struggled with and the first was Max Comtois who ultimately ended up and I, I talked about this a little bit in the article but he ultimately ended up at number 51 for me and then the second was the The player directly after him, who I was also extremely close to, to including over a handful of the players who were kind of in that 45 to 50 range on my board. Uh, And that was Condre Miller, who's a sort of high end, high end D prospect for the New York Rangers and just wrapped up uh, what is, quite frankly, an excellent year at Wisconsin University as a freshman and really surprised me and, and was more dynamic offensively than I expected him to be. And then Comtois obviously had an excellent year. I mean, he was one of, if not the most dominant player in the QMJHL when he was there, and that's including players like Joe Valino, who featured on my list, and Alexi Lafreniere, who will obviously, almost certainly, barring some kind of catastrophic injury, be the first overall pick in 2020. Uh, Contois was right in that group with them he was one of the most dominant players in the league last year and naturally the the instinct from a lot of people especially considering he played reasonably well in his NHL stint is why isn't this guy on your board and Ultimately, I settled on Comtois as a kid who I narrowly left off my list because I just don't think there's star power there at the NHL level. I think he's – which isn't to say he's going to – not going to be per se a great NHL player. He will be. Um, I like a lot of what he brings. But what he brings is tailored to kind of a middle six role and kind of a checking role. And he's going to help out on a power play. But I'm not sold on him being a power play one guy, which means he's probably a PP2 guy. Uh, and then offensively, I just don't think he's really going to drive a line or drive a team offensively. So what you're left with is a kid who, in my opinion, is going to be an excellent NHL player, but is probably kind of a middle six contributing winger who can help out in all facets, plays a sort of physical fast game, um, is certainly a leader off the ice and on the ice. He's always been that kind of a kid Uh, There's no problems with his work ethic or anything like that. I just don't see his offensive skills as being truly dynamic. So that's ultimately what uh, very narrowly kept him off my list. I could listen to arguments for him in, in the sort of 40 to 50 range on my list, and I wouldn't really sweat it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of Ducks fans are suffering just from the small sample size that we saw of him, the seven points in the 10 games and how he pretty much looked good in in almost every game. And then obviously going down to the QMJHL and and, and just dominating down there. I I, I think it's tough, right? I mean, I think he has the tools, like you said, but... Well, what a lot of you saw when he was up is he relies heavily on whoever he's on a line with. A lot of the time, I think it was uh, Adam Henrique he was on a line with. He was with Getzlaff at one point as well. And, you know, Getzlaff's a number one center in this league, and Adam Henrique's a very good second line center. So it's tough to really judge what he can bring until you see more games from him, and hopefully this season.
0: Yeah, and I think you're going to get that. He's probably going to play, if not 82 games, then then pretty darn close to it with the Ducks this season, and you're finally going to get to see him in the Calder race and see him contributing at that kind of a level. I don't expect that he'll really be a, a prominent figure in the Calder race just because this Calder class – and I talked about this a little bit in the article, but there's probably 10 guys in this Calder class that have a legit shot and some really, really high-end players who are going to be entering the league this year. So you're probably looking at Comtois to, to settle in as, as kind of an impact guy with the Ducks. I just don't think he's going to be that that true kind of drive-a-line, play-on-the-first-line kind of player in the way that they've had in, in recent memory, with whether it be... Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, etc. He's just not going to be that level of a player for me, at least.
1: Well, let's talk about the first guy you did have, the first Ducks prospect, Trevor Zegras, the Ducks' ninth overall pick in 2019 draft. A lot of, I mean, you can't really go wrong in the first 12 picks in this year's draft. There was a lot of talent, and really from 6 to 12, I think is what you said in your article, and what a lot of people saw is it really, you couldn't go wrong. It was pretty even. It's Mm -hmm. just positional at that point. Um, What would you say is Zegers' ceiling? Because he obviously has the skill, but there's a couple areas he needs to work on. Can he be a number one center, or maybe is he better suited to be a winger?
0: Yeah, so Zegers is kind of in an interesting spot. In my ranking all year, he was kind of in that 10 to 12 range, but I could absolutely understand why the Ducks took him ninth overall. And and you kind of mentioned it off the top there, but I said all year that the difference between the player who I had ranked sixth for most of the season and the player who I had ranked 12th, which is ultimately where Zegers was on my final top 100 in May, was pretty marginal. I could listen to arguments for any of those six players in that range, uh, certainly I had a clear cut top five by the end of it, but after that top five, I, I really felt like it was a six to 12 range and then kind of a 13 to 21, 22 range after that. And Zegris was firmly in that top 12 for me. So, um, there, there's a scenario where he becomes the sixth best player for me in this draft. And I, I wouldn't be shocked by that outcome. Uh, in terms of his upside and what he might offer down the line, he's a very much in, – in, at least in that group of six, I think there's a lot of uncertainty now with Peyton Krebs given his Achilles injury. But he and Krebs uh, of those six players are probably the six guys uh, – or probably the two guys in that six, I should say, who – at, le- at the very least have a little bit more risk to their game and a risk to their upside than some of the other players. When I look at a kid like a Kirby Dack, I see a kid who's definitely going to be an impact player in the NHL. Whereas a-, a kid like Zgris, there's certainly a higher reward, but I'm not sure that the floor is quite as high as a player like Kirby Dack. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zgris. He's going to get a couple of years in college to kind of figure it out here, but He, on that national development team program at the very least, was a a little bit on the lighter side. A lot of those kids who come out of the NTDP, they've had time because they don't play the same kind of minutes as as a lot of other programs. Um, They've had time to sort of bulk up and get stronger. And you see them at the Combine and they perform quite well. And Zegras wasn't that kind of a player. He's still very thin for his size Uh, He needs to add some muscle, so there's that risk involved in his game. But then you watch him play, and he doesn't play a game that speaks to this sort of potential weakness that he has from a strength perspective. So uh, he's very much an in-your-face kind of player. He was very much the pest on that team. Him and Alex Turcotte a little bit as well can can both kind of give it and take it. And uh, Zegers is the kind of player who gets under opposing team skins, and he'll take the odd minor penalty here and there for slashing or hooking or sort of roughing after the whistle. But it's part of his style of play, and I think it's going to endear him to whichever fan base he ends up playing for, whether that's the Anaheim Ducks or some other team via trade. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Zegris does with it. In, in terms of his pure offensive upside, he is, after Jack Hughes, in my opinion, the second best passer in the class. He's as creative as any player in this draft. Hughes included the, the plays that he can make as a passer from the wall, particularly on the power play, or the kind of plays that pull you out of your seat. My big concern with him is A, that strength I mentioned, and then B, his finishing touch. He's Despite having some nice touch around the net and a decent shot, he tends to think pass a little bit too much and tries to be the playmaker too much. And I think some players like that at the NHL level kind of get boxed in and it limits their offensive upside because suddenly they struggle to score. So he's going to have to learn how to take the puck to the net a little bit more and get a little bit stronger. But if those things can fall into place, that matched with his – With his offensive ability as a passer should mean that he's a very very high-end player.
1: He recently said, I I think it was an article by Eric Stevens with The Athletic, he said that he was, uh, Trevor Zegres said that he was going to spend about one season at BU and then likely jump into the NHL. He reiterated that to us uh, on the podcast as well. Do you think he needs more time? Do you think that's too early for him? Like you said, he needs to build some size. So is one season in college maybe not enough for him?
0: It will depend. A lot of kids who choose to go to the sort of Boston College, Boston University route, uh, both of those schools have have made a name for themselves as as kind of the one and done institutions. Um, So we'll see. He's in an interesting spot where um, he certainly has the talent level to sort of execute on that promise. I would probably argue that two years is probably a better bet for him. I've always felt that two years is probably going to be the best bet for him. He kind of reminds me of Oliver Wallstrom, the Islanders prospect, who went this a very similar route to he and, and then kind of expected to be this one-and-done superstar who was going to tear up college hockey and then make the jump like a player like a Quinn Hughes, et cetera, et cetera. And then that just didn't materialize for someone like Oliver Wallstrom. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if that also happened. For Trevor Zegers if he kind of struggled to find his way and and not struggled I shouldn't say he's going to be a very good college player immediately but not the truly dominant 40 points in 30 college games kind of player that you expect to make that transition Um, like a player like Troy Terry who I'm sure we'll talk about eventually became when he spent a little bit more time in college to try and get to that point Um, so I, I really do think that two seasons is probably a better bet for Zegers but Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to force, force it in that way, and maybe that means that he just spends part of a year in the AHL and gets adjusted to the pro game and then makes the jump, but I'm not terribly worried about his upside and his ability to get there, even if he at his very low end is kind of a second line guy who is physical and in your face. That's still a a very productive player for a ninth overall pick. And I think there's upside for him to be slightly more than that and and kind of be a high end second line guy, maybe even a low end first line guy who can really be dynamic and one of the more dynamic passers on the power play. So um, we'll see. I I would uh, with all these kids, I caution patience. I think patience is nine times out of ten the best route, but some of these kids really want to push the push the envelope here and, and sort of force their way into the league, and he certainly has the skill level to be able to do that.
1: You mentioned Troy Terry, who came in at 44 on your list, and it was his first full season with the club last year. He had a bit of a confidence problem at the beginning of the season before getting sent down to San Diego and spending time with Dallas Aikens. Now with Dallas Higgins behind the bench in Anaheim, could this be a breakout year for Troy Terry? Now having some familiarity with the coaching staff,
0: I've always imagined Terry, quite honestly, as a kid who who isn't going to be kind of a breakout guy in any at any point in his career. I just envisioned Troy as a kid who is just going to be a slow builder. I would imagine that he has a good, though, un, though sort of unspectacular, not great year this year. I think he's going to be step in and be a productive kind of middle six guy, second or third line guy for the Ducks. And then I think you'll see a slow build. And I think ultimately at the end of that build, you'll have a kid who is a very good borderline second line forward who can be an impact guy offensively while still offering you a lot of consistently, consistency I should say, off the puck. And I just have a ton of admiration for Terry and the way that he's kind of built his trajectory here. He was Here's a kid who uh, played on, after this year's team, or maybe even in contention with this year's team, arguably the most talented national development program team in the history of the program. And it, for an entire year spent the season on the fourth line, despite probably knowing in his heart of hearts that he was more than a fourth line guy on that team. Uh, ultimately because the team was so talented and you had Clayton Keller and you had uh, Austin Matthews and you had Kachuk and you had, you go to, uh, on down the list, Luke Cunning, et cetera, et cetera. It just meant that it, a, a player like Troy Terry, who was versatile defensively had to kind of work his way and, and sort of bide his time. And even Jeremy Bracco was on that team. It was just a ridiculously talented team at forward and he's just continued to kind of prove himself everywhere he's been he proved himself in college and then he proved himself in the ahl particularly this year and now you've got a kid who is sort of a top 50 prospect against all odds and has really established himself as not only one of the better players in the ahl last year but um just one of the better prospects on the planet and and he doesn't have any one skill where you look at him and say wow this kid's a star. This kid blows me away, but he just seems to be effective wherever he plays, and I think that's what you're going to get out of him at the age, at the NHL level. I should say.
1: Yeah, and for Sam Steele, who came in in 47, you kind of said the, the same thing about him too. he's There's nothing special about him. He's not going to be a star. He's just kind of going to do everything well. Nothing great. And okay. Steele struggled at the beginning of the season too, but he finished on terror, scoring eight points in his final eight games. What, what is it about Sam Steele that, you know, he had that, that season where everybody got really hyped. It was 131 points in, in, I think, 66 games with the Regina Pats. That kind of raised his stock a bit. What is it about Sam Steele that just kind of makes him that complete player?
0: Well, I think with Steele, first of all, he's got a little bit more flair to his game than Troy Terry. He plays kind of a similar game. He's obviously smaller than Terry is in terms of his body. Um, But Steele plays kind of a similar game in that he's just an effective player. He's figured out how to make his skill set work for him. He's effective. He's efficient on the ice. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Uh, And that quickly endears himself to the coaches that he plays for. But I would say that Sam Steele... Has if there's more safety in Troy Terry, there's certainly a little bit more flair and a bit, little bit more upside in Sam Steele. Ultimately, Steele finished a couple slots lower than Terry on my on my top 50 this year. But that isn't to say that I don't think that Sam Steele can become the better player because I think that is an option for him. Um, What stands out to me about Steele is just his playmaking ability. He's a kid who. It doesn't have that kind of wow-you playmaking ability that a a Trevor Zegers does in terms of the creativity and the ability to really surprise you by finding players you don't expect him to find. But uh, by the same token, Steele is a kid who can make a lot of high-end plays with the puck, is a, a very good passer, is a decent finisher, probably a little bit better of a finisher than a player like Trevor Zegers was, at least in terms of his age and his development curve. Um, And I I just see Sam as a kid who's going to ultimately find himself as a second-line center. He's not going to be a third-line guy. I think he's too talented for that, and I don't think he's quite talented enough to be a first-line guy. But I could envision him on a pretty darn good team being a contributing second-line center who can play on on the power play, who's responsible defensively. And I just think there's a lot to like about his game. And he's one of those kids where you just look at him and you think – that kid's going to be a good NHL player, and there's there's nothing really holding him back.
1: With Kessler going on the LTIR and the Ducks now kind of being short at center, they've got Ryan Getzlaf, they've got Adam Henrique. Do you think Sam Steele finishes higher on the depth chart than Adam Henrique at the end of the season, and maybe even Ryan Getzlaf, depending on how well he does?
0: Well, I think Getzlaff's probably a bit of a stretch, but I I'll be interested to see the dynamic play out between him and Henrique because. Quite honestly, a they're they're not all that dissimilar as players, um, and b I, I just think that because Sam is so young and he's going to have to sort of ease his way into it here, that you may see him start as the three C or or maybe even start on the wing. He has played a little bit of wing um, and then kind of work his way into a more prominent role as the season progresses. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least if. By the end of the season, you're looking at Sam Steele and he's got 40 or 50 points, and he's suddenly sort of right there with Adam Henrique in terms of contribution. So um, there's a lot to like about what Sam Steele has to offer, and um, really at, at, at center there there is depth there now within the Ducks organization. Players like Isaac Lundstrom, who, who isn't going to be a star by any means, and it probably settles in as a third line guy at his peak. But players like him and Antoine Morand, there there are kids there who, at the very least, give you a little bit of intrigue. And I think Steele, if he settles in as the two C, and then you have someone like Lundestrom, or, or Antoine Morand, or whoever else, sort of even a Benoit Olivier Gruel, if you have one of those kids that pans out, then suddenly you've got a pretty decent young core down the middle.
1: And surprisingly, last year, Lindstrom got a taste of NHL hockey. I don't think a lot of us expected him to you know, start the season with the Ducks and let alone play 15 games. Uh, what w- I was really impressed with was his two-way game, which I think was a staple when he was drafted mm-hmm. by the Ducks. But he had offense that kind of came in flashes. It wasn't really consistent. We've seen that from him in the past. Does he have enough skill to be a contributing forward offensively?
0: That's the X factor with him. He definitely skates and plays at an NHL pace. He makes a lot of simple plays, which allows him to exit, exit the zone and sort of enter the offensive zone and, and spend a, a, not a ton of time, quite frankly, playing in his own zone. And that's kind of the hallmark of a depth center. But the question is always going to be that finishing touch and the ability to to not only exit and enter, but then once you've entered to, to make the necessary plays that result in goals or result in assists and, uh, for him it's it, it you're right it's it's there in flashes but it's not there at the consistency that a player like a Sam Steele or a Troy Terry demonstrates it offensively so I think ultimately that could limit uh, Isaac and and if if that does limit him then that's fine he was potentially taken maybe a, a, a little bit too high if you're looking at a third or fourth line center who was taken I believe he was 23rd overall you can correct me if I'm wrong there but um, if, if Isaac is is a kid who's a third or fourth line contributing center and he's young and he can help out in both zones and he can penalty kill and he can maybe help out on your second power play unit because he's not going to be a first power play unit guy, that's still a success story even for a late first round pick. So, um, yeah, it's it's obviously not exactly what you would probably hope for out of a first round pick, but uh, it's hard to complain when a first round pick can. Turns into a a sort of versatile, reliable NHL forward, and I think that's what you'll get out of Lundestrom in time.
1: It honestly looks like it might work out for the Ducks, and they've kind of crafted themselves a one, two, three up the middle that just works well, you've got a playmaker in Trevor Zegras, who will be your, your main go-to offensively. You've got a guy who can do a little bit of both on a second line in Sam Steele. And then you've got a guy who's very responsible, play, plays it safe in Isaac Linderstrom as your third-line center. That's a pretty good one, two, three that the Ducks are building to down the middle for the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't disagree. And and again, I would go back to someone like, like Benoit olivier Groulx, who I really like, who I think could sort of potentially challenge in a role like Lundestrom and, and sort of maybe you have those two guys battling over the third and fourth line center role at some point, And that's not a bad scenario to be in. So I think ultimately you've, you've got a, a pretty good dynamic down the middle there. Um, I'm not sure that's a contending team, one, two, three, four, just because, most contending teams have a truly generational player, whether it's a Evgeny Malkin or a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid or a Steven Stamkos or an Austin Matthews. And, and Trevor Zegras isn't going to be that level of a guy, but look no further than a team like the St. Louis Blues, who just won the Stanley Cup without any true, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly is a star, but he's not a superstar. And, uh, there is room if you build in other ways, and obviously you've got an outstanding goalie in in anaheim and and some depth on defense and you can do it a different way like a st louis did without having a an austin matthews or a Sidney crosby or a connor mcdavid down the middle so uh if all of those guys turn out there's a chance there that you've got something
1: one of the interesting guys that was in and around the Ducks lineup this year was Max Jones and I think in any other case a player coming up and putting up only 5 points in 30 games would be underwhelming but for those who watched him this year he just seemed like he was unlucky pretty much every night I mean he put in the effort he seems destined for a third line energy forward who can chip in offensively while obviously being a pest which is what he builds his game off of is that as high as Max Jones ceiling goes that third line energy forward
0: Yeah, I believe it is. I think at his base, you're probably looking at a fourth line guy and at his ceiling, you're probably looking at a third line guy who doesn't really drive offense, but who can chip in here, there, who has okay touch around the net in terms of finishing off plays. And who ultimately what he offers at his best is some speed on the forecheck, some speed on the back check, someone who finishes every single one of his checks, and then who's really involved after the play and really... at his best taking the opposition off their game and and sort of striking that fear, which in today's NHL game has begun to fade, but there are still players who can do that successfully. And I think that's what Max Jones has to be. If he's going to be a a sort of contributing factor on a good NHL team. And um, I really don't think he's going to ever be a driver on a line. I don't think he's going to be a, a creator offensively, but if he can give you enough off the puck and, be physical and, and be a, a sort of a, a presence on the forecheck and a presence on the cycle. Then ultimately, that that should give you another decent depth player.
1: He seems to me like he's you know every team kind of has that one guy you can move anywhere in the lineup when guys get injured in the top six. He kind of feels like that guy because he has the pace to keep up with players in the top six, and he also does have that scoring touch if he's put with somebody who can get him the puck. We saw that when he was put with Ryan Getzlaff this year he, he kind of does seem like that guy where he can jump up if he has to, but he is more going to sit as a third line winger when everybody's healthy.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think ultimately that's the best case scenario for him. Uh, he, even if he he is sliding up in your lineup, it's probably due to injury would be my guess. Yeah. That isn't to say that he can't play a few games here or there on the, on the first or second line and, and kind of be the third best player on a line, but still provide a different element just in the way that he forechecks and, Gets pucks back, but uh, ultimately he's not a great passer. He was always more of a finisher at the junior level and, and more of a, one of those rare kind of guys who tends to have more goals than he does assists. Um, so ultimately you're looking at a guy who's just going to crash and bang and drive the net and, and try to sort of bang home loose pucks and play in transition and be a presence on the four check. And I think that's what you've got in Jones.
1: The last prospect I want to touch on, the, the only defenseman I have uh, listed here. The Ducks always seem to churn out good defensemen. Obviously, Hampus Lindholm and Cam Fowler and now Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour with other teams. Josh Mahura seems to be the next in line uh, before this year's draft when you look at the best uh, defensive prospects in their system. He wasn't spectacular in San Diego this year, but he looked you know kind of at home in the 17 games he had with the Ducks this year. Does he have a shot at being a 4 or 5 in the NHL?
0: Yeah, I think he's got a real shot at being that. Again, he's a kid who was, A, he was outstanding in junior. Like, he was just a joy to watch play in Regina. Um, Showed some real flashes. Should have more regularly been in in the conversation for Team Canada in terms of international events. I always felt like he kind of got snubbed by Team Canada. He played at Halinka, I believe, one season at Halinka, but... Um, never really played at the World Juniors or played at U18s, and I always felt like he had the talent level to be a guy who could play sort of lower on a D pairing and maybe a third pairing in in some of those sort of all-star level rosters for prospects, Um, and just never really got there, but was ultimately a, a really dynamic player for the Regina Pats, and last year you i would ultimately chalk up his his time with the San Diego goals to to sort of some growing pains there were some real flashes there i think there's definitely more goal scoring touch in his game than we saw and He's one of those rare defensemen who, when he's confident and he's willing to activate into the high slot without fear of giving up too much back the other way, that he's able to finish off plays. And he just looked a bit tentative when I watched him play in times, at times last year in the AHL. And I think that will come with time. He's certainly got the playmaking chops. He's a good skater. Uh, he doesn't, he's not a sort of hulking defenseman by any means, but he's got decent pro size. Um, He's strong on the puck. He makes a clean first pass. So I I think there's a lot to like about him in terms of a modern-day NHL defenseman. He's just not going to be, again, he's not going to be a guy who anchors a number one power play. He's more of a guy who might help out on PP2. And he's not going to be a guy who's a major factor on the penalty kill. So you're ultimately looking at a guy who might just help drive possession at even strength at five on five. And then who can kind of be just a reliable two-way guy who makes enough plays without ever really wowing you. And uh, every team needs those guys. Every team needs young, cost-controlled players who can kind of fill in the gaps. And I think Josh has a chance to be that
1: you got a lot of left-shot defensemen in front of him right now with Lindholm and Fowler and Jakob Larson. So he kind of goes into that competition. The Ducks traded away one of their better right-handed defensemen and Brandon Montu to the Buffalo Sabres, and they got Brandon Gooley and now Brayden Tracy, who they drafted with the, the draft pick they got from the Sabres. Is it like is, Can you call who won that trade now, or does it all depend on what Brandon Gooley and Brayden Tracy become?
0: I think that will be something that plays out in time. I obviously like Montour. Um, I think Montour's value has been inflated a little bit over the years. So I think ultimately the haul that they got for him was a pretty respectable haul. Um, I really like Braden Tracy. Tracy's a kid who kind of burst onto my, about midway through the season, burst onto my NHL draft ranking. I do my draft ranking in three installments, a preliminary mid-season and final list. And, Really by the time my mid-season list was was being created and crafted, Tracy was a kid who I was paying a lot of attention to and then ultimately finished as a kid who I felt was a real sort of late first, early second round talent by the time my final list was put together. and um, Tracy plays with a lot of pace for a kid who isn't actually all that tremendous as a skater. He's a player who just works hard to get there. Um, and then Brendan Houli is, is an interesting player as well. So I think both of those players could end up being NHL players, and if that happens, then the trade is, is probably a good trade for both teams.
1: And they drafted two left-shot defensemen with the final picks after Zegras and, and Braden Tracy. How do you feel about Jackson, Lacombe, and then Henry Thrun? Because I feel like Lacombe was a little bit of a risk and a little bit of a reach for the Ducks, but then getting Thrun at I believe, 101 was almost a safe pick and a little bit lucky to get him at that point.
0: Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I was a a Henry Thrun truther for most of of this season. I really like virtually everything that Henry Thrun brings. He's built to play in today's NHL game. He has the frame. He's strong on the puck. He's efficient in everything that he does with and without the puck. He's a good defender. In fact, a very good mature defender for his age. Uh, And I think there's untapped offensive potential that Never really got to blossom in that NTDP program because in offensive situations, particularly in the power play, even though him and Cam York played together a lot at even strength, he was often behind Cam York in terms of opportunities on the power play, et cetera, et cetera, and players like Fensori as well. So uh, I think there's more upside there in Henry Thrun. I really, really liked that pick. I felt that Henry Thrun should have been a second-round pick in this draft, so to get him sort of later in the back half of the draft I think is a success. And then Jackson Lacombe is a high risk, high reward player. He's just very raw. There's definitely talent there. He has upside. He has skills. Uh, It's going to be on him in college to kind of put all those pieces together. And that's ultimately going to take some time. I imagine that a player like Jackson plays all four years of college and we don't quite know until he's graduated as to what he's going to be. So uh, patience will be required with Lacombe. Uh, I, I really like some of his tools. I will Didn't love that pick where it was, but I was fine with it. And then I'll be interested to see what happens with both of those players. I like Thrun a lot. I think that was an excellent pick. And Wacombe was a fine pick who, if he pans out and if all the pieces come together, there might be something there.
1: Yeah, with all these younger players coming in, the Ducks bought out Corey Perry for a lot of different reasons, but part of it was to make room for a lot of the younger players who are going to make their way onto the roster. How quickly do you think the Ducks can turn around their play with this youth movement? Because they've got a lot of guys who were, have uh, limited roles last year, are going to have increased roles this year, plus guys that we just mentioned in Zgris and Tracy eventually making their way to the team.
0: I think it's going to be a little bit of a process, honestly. There are teams that in recent memory have managed to turn it around pretty quickly. Colorado comes to mind. The Leafs come to mind. The Rangers in their current sort of format are going to turn things around really quickly. Um, The Ducks, because they don't have a a Capo Caco or an Austin Matthews or a Mikko Rantanen, I think it may take them a little bit longer. They certainly don't have a Kale McCarr or a Bowen Byram either. Um, But there are enough pieces there where – in two or three years, it's not hard to imagine a situation where they've got something really good going and they're back in the playoff hunt.
1: All right, got to get to this question. Whose rebuild do you like better, the LA Kings or the Anaheim Ducks?
0: Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I loved the Alex Turcott pick for the Kings, and I think he's more of a difference maker than any of the pieces that the Ducks have, but I think there's more depth in the Ducks organization and the Ducks already have a brilliant goalie. So I would definitely give the, the edge to the Ducks. But I think in terms of the young talent, if you were to compare prospect pool to prospect pool, that Alex Turcott emerges as the best player of that bunch.
1: And I think the Kings... You know, to their credit, drafted really well this year. I believe Arthur Kaliev was a guy who fell to them. There was a lot of issues that people had with his game, but where they got him was pretty good. And then obviously getting Turcotte, they ended up having a pretty good draft this year for you know one of the first seasons where they really haven't been a playoff team or a contending team. So not a not a bad haul for what they did this year. Despite falling out, I think they they were slated to have the second overall pick and falling all the way down to five.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think LA did a fabulous job at this draft. And I think they've done a really good job at the last couple of drafts. I love Akil Thomas, who played for the Niagara Ice Dogs for the last couple of years, and I think has a chance to be a good second line center. I really like Rasmus Kupari, who isn't going to be a star, but has the chance to be a contributing middle six winger. So there's definitely some pieces there as well.
1: Okay, so I saw a post on Twitter, and everybody likes to put these posts out, I guess, around this time of the year, and and you see them, I guess, a few times throughout the summer, Uh, but it's point predictions for next year. And the one I saw, the Ducks are predicted to have 80.5 points next season, which is 0.5 more points than they had this year, making them the fourth worst team in the league on that list. Would you take the over or the under on that for this year?
0: I would probably take the slight over. I just think there's so much parity in the league, and John Gibson is such a factor that ultimately I think the Ducks, uh, if they were in the sort of bottom five, I would probably be surprised. That's to, not to say that by any means they're they're going to be a playoff team or in the playoff hunt. Um, but I just I, I look around the league and I look at teams like the Ottawa Senators. Um, And I just still think that there are, at the very least, a handful of teams that are probably slightly worse than the Ducks. So I I would probably take the over and see them in in the mid to high 80s. And ultimately, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. And quite frankly, they're probably better served being worse than that and being worse than last year so that they can accumulate a better pick and have better odds at the top of this draft. And this draft, I should say, is going to just be exceptional there isn't a Connor mcdavid level player in alexi lafreniere but the depth at the top of this draft the top 10 top 15 top 20 in the 2020 draft is just going to be outstanding there are truly truly potentially double digits in terms of star star players so um if the ducks can be in that conversation they're going to get a very very good player next year in montreal
1: yeah, I, I know a lot's building towards that draft. To wrap up the just the draft portion of this, do you have a favorite pick from this year's draft?
0: Bobby Brink is probably my favorite pick of this year's draft. He was a kid who was 13th overall on my list and ultimately slipped into the second round to the Philadelphia Flyers. So he's probably the player, if I had to pick one, that was my favorite pick of the draft. I really do think that after a couple of years in college, that Bobby Brink has the chance to be a, a 60, 70 point player in the NHL. And I wouldn't say that about too many players in this year's draft. So the fact that you might land him for the Flyers in the second round is is truly impressive. And I'm really excited to see what he does. He's obviously on the smaller side, for those who are familiar, he's five foot eight. and he, he, Despite being five foot eight, a lot of those kids who tend to be smaller are great skaters. And, and Brink isn't really a standout skater. And just the fact that he was 5'8 and he's not a sort of lightning quick skater resulted in his falling, but I love the rest of his skills. Everything else about him is high end, very high end in some cases, and I think he has a chance to be a star. So I thought that was a real coup for the Flyers in the second round.
1: I want to get to some of the other prospects that you had ranked in your article. And uh, is looking at Dahlon possibly being paired with Yoki Haro, is that on its way to? being one of the best pairings in the NHL in the future?
0: Well, I think if Henry becomes uh, what he could potentially become at his ceiling, then I think he could be a very good fit, not just for handedness reasons, but uh, just in terms of style of play. Henry is a kid who doesn't wow you offensively, but has the tools to make a lot of plays in transition. And then is a reliable defender, despite not being the biggest kid in the world. So, you could imagine a situation where Yoki Haru, it, 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 on that pairing at the very least, is is kind of the reliable presence, which is kind of ironic considering how well Henry plays in transition and the, the plays that he's able to make in terms of getting the puck moving and escaping pressure in his own zone and exiting and entering. Uh, but he, he could be an excellent complement to Daleen, And Dahlin's a kid who I think, at his very best, is one of the true sort of all-time rovers in the game of hockey Um, and I think we were just beginning to scratch the surface of that his season went incredibly under the radar last year due to the season that Elias Pedersen had in Vancouver but we have not seen an 18 year old defenseman have the season that Rasmus Dallin had in uh, over a decade so uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that duo might look like if they end up together.
1: Well, that duo is definitely promising for the Sabres, but I want to look at another duo, maybe compare them on who you would rather have long term. So, looking at Dalian and Yokiharu or Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr in Colorado.
0: Oh, that's tough. First of all, I think Dallin <laughs> is is clearly, if for me, as good as McCarr and Byram are going to be, and I think McCarr and Byram may someday challenge for a Norris Trophy, both of them, and. There aren't a lot of teams in the history of the NHL that have had two Norris-caliber defensemen. Obviously, the Sharks do right now with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, but that's pretty rare. Um, so that's saying a lot about those two kids in Colorado. But I think ultimately that if Dowling becomes as good as I think Dallin will become, then it it won't even really matter how good Yoki Haru becomes. I, I really don't think Yoki is going to be a star. He's kind of a second-pairing defenseman for me, uh, despite the fact that I like like him a lot and I think he's going to be a good player but I think if you match a good player with one of the all-time great defensemen and I think Darlene has a chance to be that then ultimately that's better than even a a combination as good as two number one defensemen which I think Makar and Byron both have a chance to be so I would probably just based off of the certainty that I see in Darlene as being a truly generational player in the in terms of sort of if if Eric Carlson's your best defenseman of the last generation. And if Connor McDavid's your best forward, I think that once the mantle gets passed from Carlson to the next guy, that it's going to be Darlene. And I think if Darlene becomes that level of player who can give you a decade uh, of talent like an Eric Carlson has, then that probably gives uh, the Sabres the edge.
1: The Sabres and the Abs both had great off-seasons, but I, I think the real winners, when you look at what they're able to to grab this year, were the Devils and the Rangers. Obviously, the the one-two pick in this year's draft, and you know the Devils getting Subban, the Rangers getting Panera, and, and, and Truba, Who had the better off-season?
0: I would probably give it to the Rangers, uh, which isn't to say that I don't like what the Devils did. Obviously, acquiring Subban and getting Jack Hughes are, are the two big sort of transformational moves. I think Subban is going to be a great fit there. I think his personality will fit in there better than it has in some other organizations. Jack Hughes is obviously going to be a star, maybe even a superstar. Um, But I do see just in terms of what, is about to happen in, in New York with Panarin and with Jacob Truba and with uh, Vitali Kravstov joining the fold and with Adam Fox joining the fold and Capo Caco. I mean, that's five star players right there. Players who I really do envision as stars. I, I, I think that Kravstov may not become a star, but I definitely envision that for Adam Fox and Capo Caco. And then obviously Jacob Truba and Artemi Panarin are already there. You've got a great goaltender, um, I, I think they've done about as good a job as you can do rebuilding. Sometimes these rebuilds take two, three, four years, and that's fine. But they basically took one season off, and now they're right back at it. And I think that the Rangers could be a realistic threat to challenge for the, for sort of a wild card position in the East. So I have to give them the benefit of the doubt there.
1: Yeah, I think they're not getting enough credit too, because a lot of people are looking at the fact that they won the draft lottery basically to get Kapokako and then got Artemi Panarin, but you know making the trade to get Jacob Trouba and and getting Adam Fox as well, and then being able to draft Krafsov and, and draft I believe at Chesnarek and in Russia he's one of the best goaltenders outside the NHL. Like they did a lot of the work on their own without winning the draft lottery this year. They just got lucky that that it fell to them to get Kapokako as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are teams that have have followed a similar path. I mean, look at the Leafs. The Leafs are a team who, sure, they won the lottery and they won Austin Matthews. And ultimately, Austin Matthews decided everything for how fast their rebuild was going to be. And the same is true for Capo Caco and the ability to go out and acquire a player like Artemi Panarin. But on the flip side, the Leafs still hit on drafting a Mitch Marmer when they could have taken a Noah Hannafin and they hit on drafting a William Nylander when they could have taken a Jake Vertanen or uh, a player like Max Jones, et cetera, et cetera, down the line over the years in terms of players that are available in that range. So ultimately, you have to hit elsewhere. You have to keep the right guys around. The Leafs kept around players like a Jake Gardner and an Asim Kadri when they thought about blowing it up and they still decided to keep around a select few players. And the Rangers have done the exact same thing. They've acquired good players through trade they've kept the right players in the fold they've moved on from the other from other players that they ought to have moved on from in terms of acquiring picks and making the right moves with a player like Ryan McDonough to add players like Brett Howden to the fold and you just go up and down the roster there and and again and again they've made sort of good productive moves and obviously kako is is the pi de résistance and kako is the player who's going to most move the needle but everything else and even the commitment to the rebuild in terms of giving yourself decent odds, if they didn't announce to their team and to their fan base that they were basically going to tank on purpose and that the rebuild was going to be the next chapter, maybe they don't end up in that situation. There are teams like the Vancouver Canucks did with the Sedines that had kind of found themselves in the middle ground where they wanted to make the playoffs and they also wanted to rebuild. And, that's just not the way to go about it, and that's not the way that you give yourself good odds at getting a player like Capo Caco through the lottery. So I think the Rangers deserve a ton of credit for how they've gone about it.
1: Even with Panera and Truba Kako joining the team, why could Adam Fox be just as good as an acquisition?
0: Oh, Well, first of all, I... I I, I should preface this by saying that Adam Fox is is a favorite of mine. I had him 10th on my top 50 drafted prospects ranking. It was a ranking that really sort of surprised a lot of people. A lot of people see him as kind of a 15 to 25 guy rather than a top 10 guy. Um, I obviously had him on the fringe of that top 10, but it was still quite high. I think Adam Fox is an absolutely outstanding player. I think he's the kind of player who's not going to be a number one, but I think you could imagine him – on a pairing with someone like Jacob Truba, really grabbing hold of of the NHL and being one of the truly dominant pairings. I love his game defensively. I love what he offers offensively. He's kind of the complete modern-day defenseman for me, and I think Fox has the chance to be a 50-point defenseman, and I wouldn't say that about a lot of kids who haven't already proven it in the NHL.
1: This question kind of switches gears a bit, but you recently just did a and a with Ricard Gromberg, and we had him on our show earlier this summer. How does this guy not have an NHL job yet? Like, Not only is he a great guy, but the level of knowledge he has for the game and just the experience he has, it, it's surprising that he hasn't been given an opportunity yet.
0: Yeah, I, I think ultimately for Ricard, what has held him back in terms of gaining an NHL opportunity, and he touched on this a bit in my conversation with him, was that... He hasn't really, and he's open about this, he understands this, is he hasn't really coached in a full sort of long regular season playoff run kind of atmosphere. And he certainly coached in the WHL and he coached in college. But since making the move back to to Europe, he's always been a guy who was primarily devoted to the national development program that they have there in Sweden under the Swedish Hockey Federation. And that meant that Sure, he's had a ton of success in the tournament formats, whether it's at the World Championships or the Olympic Games or the World Cup of Hockey or the World Juniors or the World Under 18s. His pedigree speaks for itself, but he has never put himself in a situation where he has to deal with the same personalities every day and he has to go through a 60, 70, 80 game regular season and then a twenty-game playoff run. And I think ultimately that's why he made the decision to to sort of leave Swedish hockey and go to the ZSC Lions because in the swiss hockey league he's going to get a chance to sort of do that and to be around professional players for an entire season and to build systems and build something that's sustainable and uh, it's one thing to put an all-star team together of the top swedish talent it's another thing to to coach a bunch of players who are kind of a mixed bag of talent and and figure it out and i think that's what nhl teams look for in a coach so if he goes to ZSC and has success, which I suspect he will over the next two years on, under his current contract, then you're going to see him in the NHL in the not-too-distant future. Yeah,
1: I, I hope so. He was a guy that a lot of Ducks fans were maybe looking to challenge Dallas Aikens, among others, for the spot. Uh, but ultimately, Dallas Aikens is the one who got promoted to the, to, the, uh, to the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. How do you think he'll do this year? He obviously has the most experience of anybody that uh, interviewed for the job with the the current Ducks roster. Do you think he is set up to succeed? Because a lot of people are still harping on what he did in Edmonton.
0: I think he'll be fine. I think he's going to be a good job. I think the key in Anaheim is going to be patience. Um, Just because you've got a new coach doesn't mean that the results are going to happen immediately. The Ducks need to recognize that they're in – if not in a full rebuild, that they're in some kind of quasi-pseudo-rebuild here where they're trying to kind of rebuild on the fly. And the expectation shouldn't be that there's some dominant team. It should be that progress is made and that young players are developing. And I think if that's your mentality, then Dallas Akins is, is a good fit. I, I covered him when he was with the Marlies years ago. And uh, just in dealing with him on a day-to-day basis, I was a big fan of The way that he ran his clubs, I was a big fan of how personally he was with his players. And I think that's the kind of personality that works with a rebuilding team. And it didn't work in Edmonton because Edmonton, I think, felt like they wanted to be sort of advancing their process faster than they actually were. And ultimately, I think if patience is, is the name of the game with the Ducks and if they're comfortable giving Eakin some time to sort things out, I think he's a smart enough guy to figure it out.
1: What do you think about the Ducks bringing on Daryl Sutter as uh, I forget what they called it? Just basically as somebody that Dallas Akins can lean on throughout the season. He's not really going to be behind the bench, but he's just kind of there for support and advice. Do you think it complements the coaching style that Akins brings, or is it kind of just a, a weird move for them to do?
0: Well, they're definitely different personalities, but I think if the if the boundaries are established and if it's made clear to Daryl that. Dallas is in charge, which I'm sure it will be, and that this is Dallas's team. Then I think that Daryl has a lot to offer. Daryl's a smart guy; he's a smart hockey mind. He's got a ton of experience in the league, and he's not one of those guys who you look at and you say, "Oh, he's got experience in the league, but he never actually accomplished anything." There are a lot of NHL coaches in the last two decades who've sort of established themselves in the NHL, but you look at their resume and you wonder how they stick around and. Darrell isn't one of those guys. I see him as a good fit for them in terms of just offering insight and guidance to someone like Dallas Eakins, who's been a head coach for a long time but hasn't done it at the NHL level consistently. And uh, I think there's a good fit there if, if boundaries and, and roles are well established.
1: I mean, anything is better than what the Ducks witnessed with Randy Carlisle last season. Uh, but there's a lot of links between Anaheim and Toronto. Uh, obviously, Randy Carlisle, Bo Sherman going bouncing back and forth and back and forth between the Ducks a couple times uh, almost a decade ago, uh, and now with Dallas Aikens as well. And, and the one guy I want to touch on is Jake Gardner, still without a team right now. Do you think he returns to the Leafs? Do you think there's a destination maybe he prefers somewhere else? What do you think the future holds for him, and when will he sign a deal?
0: Well, I think, first of all, that, that his options with the Leaf, uh, Leafs have sailed. The Leafs have made moves to, to replace him this summer. They've moved on. Their ca- salary cap structure is such that they only have about $9, 9500000 left in salary cap space, and that's without having signed Mitch Marner, who's going to demand at least that, potentially more than that. Um, So the Leafs are in a situation now where the ship has sailed. But I, I like Gardner a lot. I'm a big fan. I think he deserves a long-term deal on big money he deserves to make six or seven million a year on a six or seven year deal the big concern with him is that he really struggled with that back injury last year so I would imagine that teams have a lot of serious questions to ask about his health ultimately if he's healthy he's a 40 or 50 point defenseman who can play on a first or second pairing and be a really impact guy and I don't think that's going to change just because defensemen who struggle in there as they get older and, and that isn't to say Gardner's old but If he were to sign a six- or seven-year deal, he'd be in his early 30s when that deal is over. And I think those kinds of players, they tend to struggle when their skating is an issue. You you can look at players like Dion Phaneuf in recent memory who've really fallen off a cliff, and I just don't think that's going to be the case with Gardner because he's one of the better skating defensemen in the NHL. So I think if his back is all right, that there's some longevity there, and and you could imagine him on a long-term deal at big money being a successful player for a number of teams— The problem now is that I think he's waited a long time because he was probably hoping that there was a fit with the Leafs, and I know that for a fact that he really wanted to be in Toronto, and now that that ship has sailed, a lot of teams have spent their money, and it may mean that, hey, maybe he has to sign a one-year deal, prove himself, prove that he's healthy to get that big long-term contract next summer.
1: Hopefully soon you can put uh, the 2019 NHL entry draft behind you. I'm sure it's been a ridiculously busy year with obviously all the draft content, content that you've been putting out. I'm sure you're looking forward to the 2020 draft. Like you said, it could be one of the best F ever with Alexei Lafreniere at the top and guys like Quentin Byfield or, or Holtz or Raymond around around the top as well. Is, Ale- uh, is Lafreniere a shoe-in for first overall, or do you think there are multiple players you could challenge him depending on the seasons they have?
0: I think ultimately if he's healthy, that he's probably a shoe. in I really, really love Lucas Raymond. Uh, I'm a big fan of Alexander Holtz. I've I've gotten to know Quentin Byfield over the last few years. Did a story on him when he was 15 years old. And he's a great kid and from a great family with an amazing backstory. Um, so there's a lot to like about those kids. You go down the list. Anton Mundell... Um, even Askarov, a goalie who has a chance to be a top 10 pick in next year's draft. There's just a lot of different kind of players in next year's draft. You've got a number of high end defensemen. So it's going to be really fascinating to watch play out. But I think ultimately that the only real challengers uh, are the two Swedes for Lafreniere. And I think even if the two Swedes and by the two Swedes, I mean, Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond, Uh, Even if they have exceptional years, it's going to be extremely challenging if, if Lafreniere is healthy and playing as well as we know he can play to sort of usurp him as the first overall pick.
1: Well, Scott, we appreciate you coming on the show. Hopefully you can have some time to relax before you have to prep for the 2020 draft and obviously prepare for whatever happens with the Mitch Marner situation. But we really appreciate you coming on the show and talking some Ducks hockey with us.
0: No sweat. Anytime. Cheers.